seems hard to believe, but in just a couple of weeks, we will mark the fourth anniversary of the fire here at the building. On, on July 22nd will be the fourth anniversary. And you think about four years, four years since the fire. You think about what four years is. I mean, four years is a, is a high school diploma, usually, you know. Uh, four years is a college degree, again, usually. Uh, four years is a presidential term. Four years is, is a lot of changes. And I don't think I'll ever forget that morning, that day, watching the, watching the fire, watching that old building burn. And, and I remember, uh, just as the fire had started, as, as, uh, as I had gotten woke up, I had to run over and try to wake Lynn up next door and get her out of her house. And I'm running across the parking lot, running by the building as it's burning, and I'm praying, Lord... Don't do this. I don't want to be the preacher that takes us through a fire. I don't want to be the preacher that takes us through a rebuilding project. I am not up to it. And none of us really got a say in that. And the reality is that's life. None of us get a say in what we have to go through, what we have to endure. I was thinking about that this week as I was working on this message, as I was reading the text, specifically as I was reading 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, where Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I read verse 12 there, and honestly, nothing in verse 12 sounds like good news. Nothing in verse 12 makes me happy. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials. That could be anything. I don't want to be the preacher that has to take us through a fire. I don't want to have to be the preacher who takes us through a rebuilding project. You know what? I also don't want to have to be the guy who raises an autistic kid. You think about all the trials that we deal with. I don't want to be the person who gets that cancer diagnosis. I don't want to be the person whose marriage is in trouble. I don't want to be the person who's dealing with bankruptcy. It would seem, though, that when those fiery trials hit, we have two choices. One is to just deny, just retreat into a place, put the blinders on, and, and pretend they're not really happening, pretend there is no fiery trial, and ignore the troubles we're going through, or, or we can face them. Because ignoring them really doesn't do any good. We would much rather do that. The reality is it doesn't work. The only real option is to face them head on, to meet the challenge and see where the challenge takes us. And that's, that's the response that Peter is calling for in this passage. To recognize that difficulties will come. We really don't have a choice as to whether or not hard times are going to come. They are simply going to come. God's not going to insulate us from life, but when they come, to find the strength of faith, to find the courage to meet those challenges. So, so what is the Christian's response to, to fiery trials that, that Peter is talking about here? What does Peter show us? I think what Peter shows us is that for us, for the Christian, the pain of, that this life brings, the pain that's going to come anyway, the pain that this life brings points the believer to their hope in Christ. points them to a greater hope in Christ. If you got your Bibles with you, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. 
beginning in verse 12. Uh, if you're using the Bibles in the pew, it's page 1016. The Peter begins again, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering so that you may also re rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a, as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For, the time, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the Gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, then what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. I think Peter gives, gives us three prescriptions for dealing with fiery trials. Three things, three calls to action that will get us through anything that life throws at us. And the very first call to action is simply to recognize this is part of the package. Just recognize this is, this is part of life. So, <clears throat> so what exactly is a fiery trial? What, what counts as a fiery trial? Is he talking about persecution? Is he talking about suffering? Is he talking about sickness? Is he talking about, you know, when, when McDonald's gets your order wrong? Is that a fiery trial? I don't know. You know, what, what counts as a fiery trial? The language that he uses, the emphasis is less on what it is and more on what it does. It's fiery. It burns. It hurts. No one gets a pass on pain. No one is insulated from hurt just because they're Christians. Now this is something that, that a lot of people don't want to talk about. This is something that a lot of people are in denial about and a lot of churches are in denial about. A lot of people think that the Christian life is all about healing and blessing and happiness and, and joy and everything is always going to be perfect and nothing bad is ever going to happen. That, that's not the promise here. In fact, that's that's not promised anywhere in Scripture. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Did you get that? Don't be surprised. This, this isn't strange. This isn't out of the ordinary. This, this happens. The normal Christian life is going to include difficulties. It's going to include trials. It's not going to be easy. And you've heard that before. 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, John says, Do not be surprised. <laughs> Same phrase. Do not be surprised if the world hates you. Okay, don't be surprised. Jesus, in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble. You will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You recognize this is part of of the package. And there's a couple reasons why that's important. One of the reasons why that's important is because of the assurance that it gives you. The assurance that it gives you. The troubles that you're going through, they're not punishment. They're not punishment. 
that's, it's just a part of life. I can't tell you how many times when I've been in a hospital room, when I've been there with someone who's just gotten a diagnosis or they've gotten bad news, and the response is, why me? What did I do wrong? Is God mad at me? Is it because I skipped church last week? Why, am, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Did I make God mad? The one thing you can be sure when you're going through that time of difficulty is it is not punishment. This isn't God getting back at you for your sins. This is simply life. When we recognize that, that fiery trials, whatever, whatever form they come in, that they're part of the package, it's at that point that we're left with a choice. Well, what do we do with it? What do we do with the fiery trials? Will we run from them? Well, you can't. You can't run from them. Or do we embrace God? Do we hold on tighter to God and, and see where He leads us through those fiery trials? Do we recognize that He's going to use these to bless us, to teach us, and to grow us? That's what Peter takes us to. That's where Peter takes us. First, we recognize this is part of life. And then, <clears throat> this is the hard one, we rejoice. <laughs> we rejoice at what God is doing in us. Not rejoicing at the fiery trial, but rejoice at what God is doing in us. He goes on to say, rather than be surprised at the difficulties, verse 13, he says, but rejoice insofar <clears throat> as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Now, it's, it's not rejoicing because of the sufferings. It's not rejoicing because you're going through those times of difficulty, but rejoicing because God is present even in those difficulties. Because those trials, those, those difficulties you go through, they're not the end of your story. They're not the end of the story. God is doing something greater in us. Paul puts it this way. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Amazing verse. That's not to say that they don't hurt. It's not to say they're not stressful. It's not to say that there's not pain or, or there's not confusion and, and sometimes even loneliness in suffering. But rather than put the focus on the trial, we put the focus on God. Rather than feeling abandoned in our pain, we recognize that He is always there and He is always working for our good. That you may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. When His glory is revealed. He's not looking for some pie in the sky in the sweet by and by day. He's not looking to the, the second coming and saying, oh, Jesus is going to come back and everything's going to be fine in the end. He's talking about when His glory is revealed in you. He's talking about when, when you become different. What will you have gained when this trial is over? The whole idea of, of a fiery trial, the, the language that Peter uses there, takes its imagery from the refinement of metals. You've, you've probably seen pictures or you've seen videos. or There, you've seen one now, so you have no excuse for not knowing. But you've seen pictures of, of metal being refined and how it's heated and how it's liquefied. They'll take gold or they'll take silver and, and they heat it up. And as the metal is heated, it, the, the impurities are burned off and taken off from the metal. And what you end up with is something that is much more pure and something that is perfect 
fiery trials. That's, that's the language that Peter is using there. And that's, it does the same thing. Back at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, chapter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, Peter says, Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased to sin. The body that suffers is done with sin. And you know, I've seen that. I've seen people go through trials and come out different. Come out more committed. Come out pure. Come out glorifying God all the more. Matt Chandler is a name that you might not recognize. Maybe someone you've not heard of. Matt Chandler is a pastor. He's a preacher. He preaches at the Village Church in Texas. On Thanksgiving Day, 2009, Matt was in the dining room feeding their infant daughter while his wife was making dinner in the kitchen and she heard some commotion. She came running in to see what had happened and she found Matt laying on the floor writhing in a, in a seizure. Matt has no memory of that at all. Of course, doctor's appointments, he got him to the hospital, appointments were made. It was discovered that Matt had a tumor about the size of a golf ball in the frontal lobe of his brain. And the next years were marked with surgery. The next years were marked with a, a huge scar, with treatments and with lots of questions. And thankfully, Matt came through those and made an amazing road to recovery. But what's even more remarkable is the Matt Chandler that you would meet or would listen to today is not the same Matt Chandler as before the tumor. Matt Chandler, before the tumor, would admit to you that he was kind of arrogant, kind of egotistical. He was very concerned about Matt Chandler. But the body that suffered is done with sin. And he has become more committed. He has become more passionate. He has become uh, more committed to the Word and more committed to his ministry. And, and he is a, a very different person today. The glory has been revealed in him. And, and I just... I tell you about Matt, and I tell you about his scar. He doesn't look like that anymore. He's grown his hair back. Some people get to do that. But I tell you about Matt because I don't know where your hurt is today. I don't know what the trial that you're going through today is, but, but the trials do end. I don't know what the trial is you're going through or the one that you will go through, but you have to wonder if the glory of God is going to be revealed when it's over, what's that going to look like in your life? What's going to be different? How is that glory going to be revealed in you? What's it going to look like on the other side? It's with recognition of that possibility that Peter calls us to recommit ourselves to our Creator. Recalls. Recalls when it comes to dealing with fiery trials. First, we recognize this is part of life. It's part of the package. No one gets a pass. Everyone goes through difficult times. Secondly, rejoice. Rejoice not for the trial, but rejoice at what God is doing in those times of trial. And then finally, recommit yourself to your Creator. Each of those is essential, but without that third one, without recommitting ourselves, our suffering becomes pointless. Peter goes on in verse 14 and he says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or even as a meddler. <laughs> you know, people going through suffering, when they're faced with suffering, a lot of times people say, well, I must have done something wrong. You know, I, I must have done 
something wrong. What did I do wrong that God is making me go through this? God has abandoned me. I, I must have done something wrong and God has abandoned me, so why should I keep following Him? And honestly, some people in the midst of trials, they walk away. Peter says, that's not the kind of suffering you're going through. That's not the kind of suffering you're called to endure. You're not going through suffering because God has abandoned you or anyone else has abandoned you. He says, you're not suffering like a thief. You're not suffering like a criminal. He says, you're not even suffering like a meddler. I love that he throws meddlers in. Murderers and meddlers get lumped into the same bunch, you know? I would have done it too if it hadn't been for those meddling kids, you know? I just love that he throws the meddlers in there. It's not, well, you're guilty of something. You must have done something wrong. Yeah, God, that's not it. You have nothing to hide. You have nothing to be ashamed of. And instead, God is going to be glorified through those sufferings. He goes on and he says in verses 16 and 16 through 18, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Last week I told you that that's, that has been one of those verses that has troubled me for a very long time. Judgment begins with the household of God. It's not about what those people out there are doing and what God is going to do to them. It's judgment begins with the household of God. And we hear judgment, we can't help but hear negativity. When we hear judgment, we can't help but hear guilty. We can't help but think about being punished and sentenced to life. But judgment is also a matter of purity. Judgment is also a matter of, of, of purity. Judgment is not always just guilty. Judgment is also not guilty, right? Not guilty happens in judgment as well. And the reality is, your sins were laid on Jesus. Your sins were taken to the cross. Isaiah says the punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. So how can you think that God is punishing you? How can you think that God is punishing you if, if the punishment that brought us peace was upon Him? If, if God's punishing you, then Jesus didn't do His job. Jesus did His job. Punishment is, is over. God sees you as pure. God sees you as holy. God sees you as clean before Him. And again, the body that suffers is done with sin. We come through those trials, and I think one of the big changes that happens on the other side is we begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. And then he says in verse 19, Therefore, this is the heart of it, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. I think it's significant that Peter refers to God as faithful Creator. He is your Creator. He has made you. He has formed you. He knows you. He knew you before you were formed. These trials that surprise us, they don't surprise Him. That pain that, that you didn't see coming, it didn't surprise Him. He knew that was going to be a part of life. I, I pray with cancer patients. I pray with people who are suffering and, and going through different things. And one thing I've noticed that I, I end up praying a lot with cancer patients especially, it just seems like it comes up 
I say, Lord, this diagnosis surprised us. We didn't know this was coming. But praise God, you knew. Praise God, nothing surprises you. You, you see, you, you've taken care of us up to this point. How can we not trust you to take care of us through this as well? The fact that he is your faithful creator means that your pain is not the end of your story. He's not creating the pain. He's creating you. He's recreating you. It means that your pain is not your identity. It's not who you are. It's not the end of your story. You're His child. Entrust your soul to a faithful Creator. Why? Because He's not done with you yet. He's still working on you. He's still creating you. He's, he's faithful. He didn't give up. He didn't say, good enough for who it's for. He's still working on you. He's still creating you. But you notice that recommitment comes with a call of its own. He says, entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while, while doing good. Hmm. Comes with a call of its own. While doing good. And I want to ask you to take that command seriously. By the way, that is a command. It is a command to entrust your soul to God. It is a command to continue to do good. I want to ask you to take that, that seriously. Never stop serving. Never stop doing good. Never allow yourself in, in the misery of that moment, in the, the heat of that painful trial, that fiery trial, never allow yourself to wallow in the misery of poor me. I can't do anything. As long as you've got breath, as long as there is blood pumping through your veins, you can do something. You can serve. At the very least, you can pray. You can encourage others. You can bless others. You can do good. And I have to tell you, you've got to make yourself do that because none of us are going to do that. We're going to sit back and we're going to say, well, look what they're going through. They've done enough. You've got to make that commitment. You've got to say, there's more for me to do. You've got to look for the good that you can do. Ties in really well with what Peter, what Paul says in, in Ephesians 2:10. Ephesians 2:10, Paul says, For we are his workmanship. He's talking about that faithful creator. We are his workmanship created for good works in Christ. Good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In advance of your birth, God had good works for you to do. In advance of you deciding to follow him. God had good works for you to do. In advance of the fiery trial, in advance of that diagnosis, in advance of that pain, in advance of those troubles, God had created you to do good works. He had created you with purpose. It's what you were created for, and it will see you through with purpose. Those of you who were here four years ago, you might remember a Scripture that that God gave us during that time and a Scripture that we held on to. It's, it's from Isaiah 61, verse 3. I really feel like it was a Scripture that God gave us, that He laid it on our hearts. Isaiah 61, verse 3 says, God has granted us beauty from ashes. Beauty from ashes. We had a banner that we took every week to the TLC when we sat it up that banner was in front of us. We saw that week in and week out. We quoted it to one another. I still see people quoting that Scripture to one another these days. For four years, we quoted beauty from ashes, beauty from ashes. Four years later, here we are 
But I hope you've come to realize what I've come to realize. And that is that beauty from ashes, this building is not beauty from ashes. It's not this building. It's not these windows. It's not the lights. It's not the nice pews. It's not the carpet. This building is not beauty from ashes. You know what beauty from ashes is? Look around. Look at the people sitting next to you. This, this is beauty from ashes. Beauty from ashes is attendance that has nearly doubled what it was four years ago. Beauty from ashes is ten baptisms last year, eight so far this year, with a few more waiting, just looking for that right opportunity and that right time. Beauty from ashes is new families. Beauty from ashes is new activity and excitement. Beauty from ashes is a renewed call to serve our community. Beauty from ashes is God taking a church that was burned down and setting its people on fire where they're eager to serve. They're eager to do good. They're eager to bless. And beauty from ashes is the realization that it's the reality that for many of you here, the fire is not even part of your story. I mean, for, for a lot of people here, a lot of people involved in our church, the fire is, is not a part of their story. It's, it's history. It's something they're aware of. I mean, they see those two cabinets out back there with all of the relics, all the remnants, but they have no more connection to that fire or to those cabinets than they do to the man on the moon. They're not connected to that. That's not a part of who they are. Beauty from ashes is just a reminder that that's history. It's gone now. And beauty from ashes is the reality that whatever that painful trial that you're going through right now is, whatever that is that's breaking your heart, it's not the end of your story. It's not the last word on your life. God is creating something new in you. Something that displays His glory. Something that becomes like Him in the image of His Son. Beauty from ashes is the reality that the fiery trials that you're enduring today or the ones that are going to come tomorrow, they're not the end of the story. Your story begins and ends with a faithful Creator. A faithful God who will never leave you, who will never forsake you. A faithful Creator who will see you through anything. And who will do amazing things through you. I was thinking this week about some of the fiery trials that some of you are enduring. And, and I was thinking about, you know, that Peter's called recommit ourselves to the faithful Creator. You know, when we, when we first commit ourselves to Jesus, we, we do that through baptism, don't we? You know, we come, we say, this is it. I have decided to follow Jesus. And, and we come and we make that confession and we lay our lives down and we, we commit ourselves to Him and that's wonderful. And I was thinking, you know, what do we do? You know, when it comes time to recommit. You know, do we, do we ask people, you know, do we, do we always say, hey, come back and do it again, you know? Well, if you're like me, you're going to be doing that every week. <laughs> Because every week I've got to say, screwed up again. I need to recommit again. We come to this table every week. And every week we say, there's a body broken for me. There was blood that was shed for me. And the last word on my life is not the diagnosis. The last word on my life is not the problem I'm going through here last word on my life is a God that loved me so much that he would break his son so that he could reveal his glory in me. So I think it's wonderful that week in and week out we come back to this table 
and we recommit ourselves to a God who loves us, to a faithful creator who is doing something new in us. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing, and we'll come to the table. Father, I don't know what the fiery trials are today. Okay, in some cases I do. Lord, people share with me and they tell me what's breaking their heart. They tell me what the hurts are. Not everyone, but, but several do. And I'm very aware of some of the hurts and some of the diagnoses and just some of the pain that's here, just as, just as you are. But Father, even more, you are aware of the hurts that, that no one shares. You are aware of the pain that, that people are going through right now. And more than that, you are aware of the pains that they've not even begun to experience. Lord, you, you know what's ahead. And so we entrust ourselves to our faithful Creator. We entrust ourselves to you and say, the image of Christ is not perfect in me yet, and so I will not give up. I will not lay down. I will not allow this fiery trial to destroy me, but rather to refine me so that what comes out on the other side is more like Jesus, is more like the glory of God. And so we come to the table again this week to remind ourselves of what it, what it takes. Lord, it's not our own tenacity. It's not our own strength. It's not the ability to endure. It's the trust that we place in what Your Son has already done for us. In taking our sins to the cross, by spilling His blood for us. He has enabled us to endure. He has enabled us to reflect the glory. Thank You, Father, for the blessing we have in, in knowing Your presence through anything that we endure. We give You all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, um, right before the fire, for about a week, Trish had been walking around the house singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. In the morning of the fire, after wandering around and talking, I smelled really bad. I mean, we all did. It wasn't just me. And I went home and took a shower. And as I was in the, you know, because you sing, because the acoustics are good, right? And I have an excellent voice. And I caught myself singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I had to stop and think, do I really believe that? Over a burned out building, over a difficult diagnosis, over a rough week full of disappointment, full of hurts, do we really believe, Great is Thy Faithfulness? I hope we know that. I hope we understand that. I hope it gets revealed in us in new ways, in amazing ways every day. Let's stand together as we sing.